I hope that you've been enjoying this series. For seven weeks now, we've been doing a series entitled Soul Shepherd. If you haven't been here or you this is your first time watching one of these sermons, oh man, if I could talk to you personally, I would beg you to go back and watch the previous six messages at your leisure. That's one of the great things about having technology is you can do it whenever you have time. But I've had so many people tell me that this this series has really touched their heart. It's touched my heart as I've prepared. If these services have been helping you, drop me a line. Let me know what you think. Let me know if God has been speaking to you. It really means a lot to me to know whether or not God is using these messages. You can email me. You can call me. Send me a text message. Call Dave Jones. Let him know whether or not his songs are lifting you up before the Lord, helping you through this time. That's what we want to do. Soul Shepherd is dedicated to to two questions. One main idea and two questions. Do you know him and does he know you? There isn't a more important question. You might think, well, the economy, this pandemic, your marriage might be in trouble. A lot of marriages are right now. It's not, it's not a more important question. The most important question is, what's going to happen to your soul? If today's your last day, how sure are you that your sins have been forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross, that you know Him personally, and that He knows you. Because according to Jesus, the most important person in human history, according to Jesus, there's no more important question than that. And so we've been looking to David, someone who knew the Lord personally. And we've been asking Him to show us the shepherd that He knew. Week by week, we've gone through different aspects or facets of the shepherd that David knew and just asking some simple questions. Let's do a quick review. Week number one, David introduced us to the soul-satisfying shepherd. And we asked a simple question. Of all the things that you crave in your life, is Jesus what satisfies you most? Is He the chief craving of your soul? Week number two, David introduced us to the soul-soothing shepherd that he knew. And we asked a simple question. When the storms of life come up, what soothes you? What soothes you? When I was younger, when I was in my 20s, it was alcohol (laughs) and pornography. When I was stressed, that's what I ran to. I just need a little stress relief. Not anymore. Not anymore. Those are only band-aids. What soothes you? Do you know him? Week number three, David introduced us to the soul-restoring shepherd. We simply asked, do you know Jesus as the one who's made your soul new? Your dead soul comes alive. That's soul restoration. Do you know him? Week four, the soul-steering shepherd. Do you follow Jesus? Who's in control in your life? Who's in control? Is it really Him? Week number five, the soul-assuring shepherd. 
As you walk through dark valleys, you have, I have too. As you walk through these dark valleys, what assurance gets you through? There's coming a day when every one of us will walk through the darkest of dark valleys, the valley of the shadow of death. David was absolutely certain that his shepherd could carry him through the dark valley and into paradise. Do you know that same shepherd? There's no more important question than that, is there? And then last week we looked at the soul correcting shepherd. David knew a shepherd that comforted him because the shepherd disciplined him. And David said, I long for that discipline, the rod and the staff. They comfort me because I know the shepherd only disciplines the one he loves. Do you think that way about discipline? Do you say, Lord, correct me, shape me, bring me into the church where preachers will correct and exhort me because I know that means you love me. Do you think that way? Do you know the shepherd that David knew? Be honest. Now's the time, wouldn't you say, to get right with the Lord? Before we look at week number seven, I can't believe we're on week seven already. I want to pray with you. I don't want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. Go before him with an open, naked heart. Let's do that now. Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus on behalf of everybody who's participating in this virtual worship service, that you would give them a moment of clarity. Those are valuable and needed right now, Lord. That you would open the eyes of hearts this morning, that people would see you in truth by the power of the Spirit, because we can't come to you any other way according to Jesus. We want to worship you in spirit and truth. Lord, act, work, do what only you can do. Open the eyes of the blind. Help us to see, because I believe time is short. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You have a Bible, open it to the 23rd Psalm, the Shepherd Psalm, and let's read it together. If you don't, that's okay. It's on your screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. Now that's been our portion for the last six weeks. This will be our focus for today. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. There are occasions in the Bible where you'll come across a phrase that summarizes the whole passage. And sometimes you'll come across a phrase that summarizes an entire book of the Bible. We are in the presence of such a phrase this morning. The overflowing cup is a word picture of how David felt about his relationship with God. I don't often do things like this because I, I like to allow the word to speak for itself and I, I don't think um, 
illustrations like this are necessary, but in case there are some children watching, I saw a pastor do this when I was very little and it really stuck with me. And so I thought I would do a little illustration this morning. This is the way that David pictured his relationship with God, the soul shepherd. The cup is a picture of David's soul. And this is the way that he illustrated his life with God. In dark times especially, he said, you pour into me when I give myself over to Bathsheba. You pour into me. When I murder her husband, you keep pouring. When I'm so focused on my own kingdom that I forget your people, you keep pouring. When I'm trying to do things my way and not even following you, you keep pouring. And all throughout my life, you just keep pouring and pouring and pouring into my soul. <laughs> and such is the life of the believer. This is the way that God described His blessings on David's life. This is the way I've experienced my own relationship with God. My cup overflows. Is that the way you describe your relationship with the shepherd? Blessing. He just keeps blessing me. Most people would not. If I'll be honest with you, I think I might have just divided some living rooms right now. Half the people watching this would probably say, yes, I would describe my life as an overflowing cup. I would describe my soul as an overflowing soul with blessings from the Lord. Never ending. My cup can't even hold it. And then there are others who are watching this who would say, I'm sorry, I just don't. It's been too hard. I haven't seen much in the way of blessing. I want to ask you very honestly, do you really know the shepherd that David knew? Because he knew the soul-blessing shepherd. A shepherd that would bless his soul to the point of overflow all the days of his life. Do you know him? That's our focus for week number seven. The soul-blessing shepherd. Jesus said in John 4.14, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That's what Jesus says about himself. And Jesus is the shepherd that David knew. Has that been your experience? Right here in the fifth verse of the 23rd Psalm, David shows us two particular blessings. There are many, many ways that the shepherd blesses the lives of his sheep. But there are two particular ones that God wants us to focus on this morning. I've put them on your screen. The soul shepherd blesses his sheep with an abundant life. We're going to see that in the picture of the table. 
And second, the soul shepherd blesses his sheep with an anointed life. You can see that very clearly. He anoints my head with oil. Well, let's get right to business. Let's look at the first blessing that David said he received all throughout his life by knowing this soul shepherd, this soul blessing shepherd. Blessing number one. The soul shepherd blesses his sheep with an abundant life. Look back at verse 5, part A. David says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then he finishes with, My cup overflows. If you were here last summer, then you'll remember that I made mention of this really one-of-a-kind book. It's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It was written by Philip Keller. Millions of these things have been sold. It was originally written in 1970. And in this book, Keller gives a really, truly unique insight into the 23rd Psalm because he's a shepherd, a shepherd from East Africa. And he opened the eyes to many Bible scholars about things that you just couldn't know unless you were a shepherd. Well, may I read a portion of it to you about specifically what David is saying as it relates to sheep? Listen to what Keller says. In some of the finest sheep country in the world, especially in the western United States and southern Europe, the high plateaus of the sheep ranges are always referred to as mesas, the Spanish word for tables. Oddly enough, the African word for a table is also mesa. Presumably, this had its origin with the first Portuguese explorers to touch the East African coast. In fact, the use of this word is not uncommon in referring to the high, flat-topped plateaus of the continent. You can see what he's saying. Kind of looks like a table, right? A plateau? The classic example, of course, is Table Mountain near Cape Town which is world-renowned. So it may be seen that what David referred to as a table was actually the entire high summer range. Though these mesas may have been remote and hard to reach, the energetic and aggressive sheep owner takes the time and trouble to ready them for the arrival of his flocks. I think that what Keller is saying, at least it appears to me, is exactly what David probably has in mind. David is using the analogy of a feasting table. So it's not just a table, but a table to come and feast after having gone through the dark, shadowy valley. He's doing this to help his readers understand the depth of God's commitment to pouring out his blessings, the blessings of an abundant life. Now listen. Lots of people have misunderstood what the abundant life that Jesus offers is really all about. I implore you to please give me your undivided attention for the next two minutes as we really explore what this abundant life in Christ actually is. What is Jesus actually promising to his sheep that follow him? Take a look at the verse where Jesus says this on your screen and focus on every single word. Okay, here's what Jesus says. John 10. The thief, that's Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What's he saying there? I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
Now, lots of people have used this passage to teach a false gospel that suggests that Jesus offers his sheep health, wealth, and prosperity if they'll follow him. Is that what he's teaching there? Please listen to me. You will never get to the bottom of the truth of what it means to follow Jesus until you answer this question. What is the abundant life that Jesus is promising right there? If you don't answer this question, I promise you, especially if you live in America, you will eventually adopt ideas about what it means to follow Jesus that he never meant to mean. We need to know this. What is the abundant life? Is it more stuff? Is it better stuff? Is it a fine family? Is that the abundant life? Is it better, deeper relationships? Is it a new wife? Is it a new husband? A better one than you have right now? Is it retiring well? What is it? I know. It's the American dream. Work hard. Finish your life. Save so that you can move to Florida and collect shells until you die. Is that the abundant life that Jesus is offering? Let me tell you something. David's own son chased what we would call the American dream. He chased after it and he got it. Solomon had what every single um, American dream chaser that I've ever heard of, he had it all. Let me tell you a little bit about Solomon. If you want money and the things that money could buy, Solomon had more than you could ever earn in your lifetime. If you want people to do the things in your life that you don't feel like doing, like employees, lots of employees, or staff, wait staff, to do the things you don't feel like doing, Solomon had all that. If you want to take lavish vacations in your life and see the world, Solomon could travel anywhere he wanted. If sexual experiences is your thing. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He could sleep with a different woman every night if he wanted. He had it all. Everything that people think will satisfy them and make them happy, Solomon had it. And about the midway point of his life, the midlife, he had a crisis. Look what he wrote. Ecclesiastes 12, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Here's a guy who achieved everything that the majority of Americans spend their whole lives working for. He's in his midlife, and this is what he discovered. It doesn't satisfy. It's a wasted life. So, back to Jesus. Do you really think that Jesus is saying, I'm going to promise you all the stuff that ruined Solomon's life? Come on, just think this through. Do you really think that's the abundant life Jesus is promising? I had a man leave my church four years ago, and he told me from his own mouth, I'm not interested in this cross-carrying life you're telling us about. I want the abundant life that Jesus is offering. Do you really think that's what Jesus is offering? When Solomon pursued those things and he said, it's meaningless. Don't go that way. If a shepherd, any shepherd, invites you to follow them because they can give you the things that Solomon was after, 
What a shallow shepherd. Go follow Oprah. Go follow Tony Robbins. They can give you at least a path that will give you what Solomon was after. And I promise you, you'll end up thinking exactly like Solomon. And if you think, I know some things Solomon didn't know. Really? He was the wisest man that ever lived. He knew more than you too. That's not what Jesus is offering. He's offering you something deeper. And far more gratifying and far more satisfying. The abundant life Jesus offers is the deep satisfaction that can only come through intimacy with God. That, my dear friends, is the table and the food that David is talking about. It's a feast on God. It's a feast on the shepherd himself. I don't know about you, but the only food I'm after is the food that Jesus said he ate. Listen to what Jesus said he ate. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The table that David said his shepherd prepared for his soul is a table meant to feast on God. The food that Jesus said he ate was the intimate connection that he shared with his father who sent him here to do his will. Soul that is satisfied is the soul that has learned to come time and time again to the table and feast on the soul-satisfying, thirst-quenching, abundant blessings that come from relationship with God alone. Now, someone watching this might be objecting at this point, saying, look, pastor, I get all that in theory, but I've just never, I've never experienced that kind of blessing. God wanting to abundantly bless my life with himself? I've never experienced that. How does God give me himself in such a way that I experience that kind of abundant life with him? And you might be saying, because to be perfectly honest with you, some days it's hard for me to just find a way to put on a smile. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I can't even find enough blessing in my life to find reason to get out of bed. I know some people who think like that. Can I just be blunt with you? If you feel that way, if you feel that blessings are hard to find, I want to tell you, because I love you, that your perspective is seriously skewed, especially if you live in the United States. Sometimes, please listen, Christian, sometimes Christians need an eye-opening, earth-shattering, perspective-changing experience. Sometimes it's just a word from somebody who can rattle your thinking a bit. Well, I want to give you the opportunity to hear from somebody who is a perspective changer. I want you to listen to this woman for three minutes and 30 seconds. My wager is that you probably already know this woman. Please listen to her. God's power shows up best in weakness. And friends, I experience this every morning. May I explain? <laughs> you see, even though I've been in this wheelchair for 33 
years. Please don't think I'm a veteran. Please don't think that I'm an expert at this. No, no, no. I'm, I am no professional by any means. Because let me confess to you, how I wake up about, oh, 75 or 80 percent of the time every day, this is how it goes. <clears throat> at about 5.30 in the morning, my husband, Ken, his alarm clock goes off and he gets ready to go to work. Ken's a high school history and government teacher in Southern California, and he leaves at about 6.30. And I lie awake there, waiting to hear my girlfriend, who will come through the front door at about 7.30 in the morning to get me up. I will hear the front door click open, and I will hear water being run for coffee in the kitchen, and while she is in there preparing for the day, this is what is going through my heart and my head. Oh, Lord Jesus. I can't do this. I have no strength for this. I have no resources for this. I am tired, Lord Jesus. I would dearly just want to go home to be with you. I'm like the Apostle Paul. I feel that it is much better to depart, and I am torn, yet I know you want me to stay here on earth. There's lots of work to do, but God, I am so tired of hands that don't work and feet that don't walk. Lord, I can't make it. I can't do it. I have no ability for this. Not even a smile for this friend of mine who's going to come to the bedroom door in a moment to help get me up, give me a bed bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my wheelchair, feed me breakfast, comb my hair, brush my teeth. Lord Jesus, I don't have a smile for her. But Lord Jesus, you do. You have a strength. You have ability. You have resources. Oh, Lord Jesus, I desperately need you this morning. I require you urgently. Please show up in my life today and give me your smile. And then, moments later, when my friend comes through that bedroom door, I, I look at her and I turn my head on the pillow and lo and behold, I have a smile, a smile that has already been hard fought for and hard won this morning. And I greet her in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm able to get up and go on his energy and on his grace. Now, no doubt, ten minutes later when she's brushing my teeth, or another few minutes later when she's combing my hair, or a half hour later when she sends me out the front door and I go to work, you best believe I'm singing, I need thee every hour. <laughs> and sometimes it's, I need thee every ten minutes, Lord Jesus. But what a way to live. What a wonderful, God-blessed, grace-filled way to live. God-blessed, grace-filled way to live? Did you hear that at the end? A God-blessed way to live? What is it that Johnny Erickson Tata sees that the rest of us struggle to see day in and day out? Did you hear what she said? She said, I don't have resources, but you do, Lord Jesus. She said that at the beginning of the testimony. I don't have the resources, but you do. Friends, that is the table that David is describing. The abundant feasting table that David comes to for his craving hungry soul is a table prepared with God as the food. 
He is what your soul craves. And the more we go after things that don't satisfy, the more we will constantly look for other tables. Johnny, Johnny has the perspective that she has. She's able to put on a smile. Even when she can't walk, her hands don't work, her feet don't work. She has that perspective because she has declared her utter dependence. Her utter dependence upon a shepherd who can provide for her the resources, the sustenance that her soul craves. Do you know the shepherd that way? Would you say, my cup overflows with an abundance of sustenance for my life? My life is the abundant life because I have God. Do you know the blessings of knowing Jesus? And if you know Jesus, you know His Father. Is He your food? He was for the shepherd and He was for David. Do you know Him? Yes, the shepherd prepares an abundant feast for his sheep. But there's a second way that he blesses his sheep all throughout their lives. Blessing number two, the soul shepherd blesses his sheep with an anointed life. Look back at verse 5, part B. David says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So what is David saying here? You anoint my head with oil. There are so many varying usages of oil in the Bible that if you were to sit down and try to catalog them all, it would be a daunting task for you. And so I think the safest way to do this, to interpret what David is saying here, is to stick with the analogy of how a shepherd uses oil on sheep and what he uses oil for. Once again, let me turn your attention to this book. This is really a helpful tool. Keller describes a situation in this book where sheep are forced to deal with this constant agitation of flies and other parasites and bugs that fly into their nostrils and cause them such irritation that many of them grow sick. Some of them even die because of it. And so a faithful shepherd has to know what to do about this. Otherwise, it could destroy his entire flock. This is a serious problem. I want you to hear once again what Keller has to say about this because the way he puts it really opens your eyes to the significance of oil, okay? Now, what I'm going to read to you is a little bit long, but I challenge you. Prove the statistics wrong. Show that you can pay attention through this entire thing, okay? I'm going to read you a full page here. Are you ready to do this with me? Here's what Keller says. Sheep are especially troubled by the nose fly or nasal fly as it's sometimes called. These little flies buzz about the sheep's head attempting to deposit their eggs on the damp mucous membranes of the sheep's nose. If they're successful, the eggs will hatch in a few days to form small, slender, worm-like larvae. They work their way up the nasal passages into the sheep's head. They burrow into the flesh and there set up an intense irritation accompanied by severe inflammation. Could you imagine that? How irritating for these poor animals. For relief from this agonizing annoyance, sheep will deliberately beat their heads against trees, rocks, posts, or brush. 
They will rub them in the soil and thrash up around against woody growth. In extreme cases of intense infestation, a sheep may even kill itself in a frenzied endeavor to gain respite from the aggravation. Often, advanced stages of infection from these flies will lead to blindness. Because of all this, when the nose flies hover around the flock, some of the sheep become frantic with fear and panic in their attempt to escape their tormentors. They will stamp their feet erratically and race from place to place in the pasture trying to desperately elude the flies. Some may run so much that they'll drop from sheer exhaustion. Others may toss their heads up and down for hours. They'll hide in any bush or woodland that offers shelter. On some occasions, they may refuse to graze in the open at all. So they stop eating because of this. All this excitement and distraction has a devastating effect on the entire flock. Ewes and lambs rapidly lose condition and begin to drop in weight. The ewes will go off milking and their lambs will stop growing gainfully. Some sheep will be injured in their headlong rushes of panic. Others may be blinded and some even killed outright. Only the strictest attention to the behavior of the sheep by the shepherd can forestall the difficulties of fly time. At the very first sign of flies among the flock, he will apply an antidote to their heads. I always preferred to use a homemade remedy composed of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar, which smeared over the sheep's nose and head as a protection against nose flies. And here's where it concludes. You're almost there. Hang in there with me. What an incredible transformation this would make among the sheep. Once the oil had been applied to the sheep's head, there was an immediate change in behavior. Gone was the aggravation. Gone the frenzy. Gone the irritability and the restlessness. Instead, the sheep would start to feed quietly again and soon lie down in peaceful contentment. I highly recommend you read this book. It's great for insight into the 23rd Psalm. As before, it appears to me that Keller hit the nail on the head I think this is exactly what David is describing that his shepherd does for him. Listen to me very close, Christian. It's become my persuasion that it's not the life-altering, cataclysmic events that become the darkest, most difficult times for Christians to navigate through, but it's the pesky, daily aggravations that go on for too long without remedy that get into a Christian's thought life. They come into their mind like a pesky little fly. And those thoughts buzz around in there and they aggravate the believer so terribly sometimes it can lead to people walking away from their faith to find relief somewhere else. Those, to me, seem to have been the hardest things for Christians to navigate. And so what does a faithful shepherd do for a sheep that's in that condition? With a thought buzzing around inside their head and planting other thoughts that are not true. What does a shepherd do? He anoints your head with oil. And so someone out there is asking, what does that mean? What does that even mean? How does Jesus, the shepherd of my soul, Anoint me with oil that can relieve my thought life and my aching heart like a shepherd does for the sheep. 
Great question. So glad you're still with me. Let me take a stab at answering that using the scriptures. First, what is the anointing? Well, anointing has several meanings in the scriptures, but two dominant ones. First, anointing is to consecrate for office or service to God. So pastors who are ordained often in many denominations, they get anointed with oil. It's a very good way and a biblical way to anoint someone. It is to set someone apart for an office. But the second way in which it's used, James chapter 5, we're commanded to anoint the sick with oil and to pray over them. The oil has no magic properties. The oil is a symbol. That's all it is. It's a symbol of God's promise to care for his sheep. It's a tangible reminder. Sometimes people need tangible reminders. That's all the oil is. Most common way that anointing was used to speak of Jesus was as the chosen one. Regardless of how anointing is used, it means the same thing. It means set apart by God as one of his sheep for his special purposes on the earth. That's what anointing is. So the next question you should ask is, who's anointed? Is it just Jesus and just the ordained pastor or minister? Absolutely not. Listen very close. If you tuned me out for that last part, please don't tune me out for this part. All truly born-again Christians are anointed. Now I've got to show you the scriptures so that you can see. 1 John 2, verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. He's speaking to the whole church. And all of you know the truth. John, writing to the whole church, says, you all have an anointing from the Holy Spirit. And you all know the truth because you all have the Holy Spirit in you. That's what happens when you're born again. Paul backed this up when he wrote this in 2 Corinthians. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, he's writing to the whole church, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now, how does all this relate to those daily irritations that threaten to drive Keller's sheep mad and threaten to do the same to the sheep who follow Jesus? Those daily agitations that when gone on too long can really drive you to the brink of insanity. How does all this relate? Well, I think it's very simple. The spirit of truth has taken up residence in your heart to anoint your head, your mind with oil, daily applications of truth to soothe your thought life and your heart life, your inner soul, so that those daily aggravations won't provoke you to sin. Because if left unattended, if your heart and your mind doesn't receive daily applications of the anointing truth of oil that come onto your head from the Spirit of God, then those aggravations will eventually lead you to the threshold of temptation and mark my words, you will give in. 
That's what the anointing of the Holy Spirit is in you to do. He is there as the spirit of truth to be applied daily so that those aggravations don't lead you to a sinful life. That's the blessing of the anointing. When my mind is agitated, let me give you a couple of practical applications for my own life. When my mind is agitated with the pest of looming decisions, let's take a pest. The pest of looming decisions. A pest comes in through my ears, eyes, and it gets into my head. I've got this looming decision. What am I going to do about that? It's a pest, and it buzzes around in my thought life. Here's the anointing of the spirit of truth that soothes my mind. John 16. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you, Luke Fraser, into all the truth. And in those moments, truth like this says, what are you so worried about, you silly boy? He has promised the spirit is in you to guide you into the truth when it's time. You don't have to stress over this till it's time. And when it's time, the spirit of truth will guide you. Here's another pesky agitation that has plagued me in my life. When my mind is agitated with the pest of anxiety over the future, the Spirit anoints my mind with this oil, the words of the shepherd. John 16 again, the second part. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will declare to you things that are to come. So here I am. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to our church? What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen because of this virus? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? The Spirit of truth anoints my head with fresh oil every day if I come to Him and say, tell me the truth because there's a buzzing fly in my head and I can't get it out. And He says, let me pour oil over your head and here it is. When the time comes, I will declare to you things that are to come. I've already told you what is to come. What are you worried about? What are you worried about, you agitated little sheep? Come to Him. Come to Him for a fresh anointing every morning. Let Him get rid of those flies that have crawled in. They're buzzing around with deception. Let Him anoint your mind with truth. Friends, David knew a shepherd who anointed his head with fresh oils and soothed away those agitations. Do you know him? Do you know the shepherd like that? Do you know the soul-blessing shepherd? Would you describe your life like this cup? Would you say along with David, mine is an overflowing life with the blessings of God. The Psalms were written by David as an overflow out of his soul. That's what the whole book of Psalms is. It's the overflow of a life blessed by the shepherd. If you know the shepherd that David knew, do you know what will happen in your life? Your life will become one long, continuous song. Singing the praises of God. Singing lines like, every blessing you pour into my life, my cup, 
I will pour out in praise. Has that been your worldview? Is that your perspective? Whether you're in a wheelchair like Johnny Erickson Tata, or whether you've experienced the hardships of a daily life of struggle like David did, do you know the shepherd who has blessed your life to the point of overflow? Do you have that same perspective? As we close this service and we get ready to sing, be honest before God. Let Him speak to you in these final moments. Let Him show you the countless numbers of ways that He has blessed your life. Father, I pray for an awakening. I pray for revival in Your church. I pray that the blessings that You have so poured into all of our lives would pour out in praise. It would pour out into the streets of our towns, into our communities, into our country, and all throughout the globe. And people would see a church awake. A church that has an abundant life with the shepherd, an anointed life. Only you can do it, Lord. And I'm asking on behalf of the people of Island Baptist Church, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing to him together.